Welcome back to Everything EOS podcast number 45. Today, we're going to talk about Mythical Games announcing D-Goods as the NFT standard for EOS, IBC, the launch of EOS name service, and a possible spoiler for the name of the much-anticipated Block One wallet. Everything EOS is made possible by our channel sponsor, Cypherglass. Please support this channel by voting for Cypherglass and by leaving a comment, subscribing, or smashing that like button. And don't make fun of me too bad for the green screen. It's my first time trying it. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining us. We're back again talking about everything that happened in EOS in the last week, and we have some pretty exciting news. But before we get started, smash that like button, smash the subscribe button, hit the little bell if you're on YouTube and you haven't already. Oh, yeah. uh, it really helps us out. So, Zach, what's that, going on this week? We need that engagement. We need more followers, man. We've got to hit 1,000 on this yeah. new YouTube channel. We went from, we went from 4,000 on our old channel to yep. less than 1,000. So we got to get those subscribers. So uh, if you like this video, share it. Um, let's just jump into it, Rob. Some major yeah. news you said in the last week. How about the last day or two? D-Goods. Yeah. Uh, tell us about D-Goods, your partnership, Mythical Games. So this is a, a I, I can't believe you kept this from me. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, been kind of working on it behind the scenes. And to everybody's credit, um, the people at Mythical Games, EOS Links, and Scatter, some of our, our partners there, have really done the bulk of the work on this. Um, but they did bring Cypher Glass into this. Um, and then we also brought Pixios into this as well. But D-Goods itself is essentially an NFT or non-fungible token standard for you know digital items on the EOS blockchain. So that means if, say, I'm in a video game and I have a unique sword, and that sword is uh, its own individual token, um, right now, if I was building that game, I kind of have to build all of those NFT parts myself. I have to figure out how to make a unique token, and I have to build in all of these other attributes into that token that I'll need because it's not just like a normal EOS token that's fungible. It's by design non-fungible and unique. So there are all these different things that had to be kind of built into this token standard to make it super easy for developers to build NFTs and games that use unique items and you know movie tickets where I have a unique token that represents my ticket or a coupon or whatever it may be. Um, so D-Goods is kind of that standard to save developers time, save developers money, and allow them to deploy on EOS much, much, much faster. So if you recall, uh, back in August, September, remember when Fred Krueger, uh, the guy from ES Links, yeah. he kind of teased that there was an Activision Blizzard style type yeah. game company <laughs> that would be moving to EOS and no one knew what it was until uh, the Mythical Games announcement happened yep. and it all came together. Um, it's no coincidence that EOS Links is, uh, and, and Scatter are the wallets to integrate with this. Um, but from the press release I saw, it, it seemed like Mythical Games, out of all those partners, they were kind of the ones leading the charge on this. How long ago do you think Fred knew about this NFT uh, standard? I don't know, probably uh, last year or maybe the very, very beginning of this year, but I would guess last year because they've done a lot of work on it so far. Um, I think Fred probably knew the Mythical Games guys or something. I'm not sure, sure how mm -hmm. far back the relationship goes. Um, but Token Pocket is also one of the initial partners as well. So we have EOS Links, Scatter, and Token Pocket that are all working on wallet integration. We have Mythical Games and Pixios as the two initial launch partners that are obviously using that NFT standard in their upcoming games. Pixios is going to use it as part of their NFT auction house and that whole system. And Mythical Games is going to use it in their first game, Blancos, where each individual Blanco will actually be a unique NFT. And then each of the, the you know in-game items if you have a hat and a sword and gloves and you know armor each of those different things can be a, its own unique token on the eos blockchain which is pretty awesome um, and then cypher glass of course is providing lots of media support and advisory 
um, just just kind of getting the word about the standard out there because it's great to release this standard and say, hey, you know, here's this new thing for developers to build on. But if none of the developers know about it, if none of the users know about it, it's really hard for a standard to get out there. And because we have such a big media reach to the community, um, that's kind of where we come in to disseminate this information and let everybody know about DGoods. Did you see um, Fred? He actually tweeted about this the day the press release came out. The press release was yeah. really good, but his 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 tweet was his tweet got me was real bullish. Yeah, I'll, I'll just read through it for the people uh, listening on iTunes or SoundCloud. So he said, "This is a significant effort, not just for EOS, but for the entire blockchain industry." Amen. Uh, why <laughs> is this important? A lot of people here are aware of ERC seven twenty one, the Ethereum standard for non fungible tokens. While this standard has limited uptake in apps like CryptoKitties, the slowness and cost of Ethereum, it, it is only a 1.0, not something that can be integrated into mass market games or ticketing applications. A good example for potential of this is the Dodgers bobblehead app. As some of you know, the Dodgers launched a 3D bobblehead collection token for each of the MLB players a few months ago. EOS has no standard equivalent to the EOS 721, and more importantly, there is no standard for EOS wallets, of which EOS Lynx, Scatter, and Token Pocket are the three leaders. I think that was even broader than the Dodgers. I think that was MLB-wide, where they had those crypto collectibles that you could buy on Ethereum, and people were buying the teams for like $6,000 worth of Ethereum and then reselling the, the individual cards or bobbleheads or whatever it was underneath. But it, it was kind of interesting uh, that they just built on Ethereum anyway. I didn't realize that that bubble head thing actually happened. And I also didn't know it was on Ethereum. So you can confirm that that's 100% like a oh, 100%. Thing? Yeah, 100% that was on Ethereum. Actually, uh, my ex-girlfriend was the one who, who brought all that to my attention about the MLB building <laughs> on some kind of crypto thing. And they launched it. And then apparently what was happening was um, there was really not a lot of demand for any of the, the, the teams that you could buy, like the franchises. Um, after the season had launched, because then if you were like, oh, they're not making it to the World Series, that one's worth less, maybe I shouldn't buy it. So it turned into like this um, almost rage fest on Twitter. Market. <laughs> it kind of, yeah, where the speculators who bought in those initial teams were then complaining on Twitter, like tweeting them saying like, how am I going to get my money out of this, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, that's, you're probably not going to because people don't want to pay that transaction fee and wait three minutes for their you know, card to trade on Ethereum. Well, maybe, maybe things will get better. So 2018 was basically the year of the stable coin. Maybe 2019 will be the year of the stable bobblehead doll. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, hopefully now, you know, with a standard like this on EOS, the MLB and all these other people who are kind of sort of forced to go to Ethereum in some kind of ways and then realize it doesn't work and maybe get turned off of all blockchains in general, they can then come to EOS because we'll have all of that infrastructure in place for them to actually build something like this and build it uh, much, much faster than they would build it on any other platform. He gives two other use cases here. Uh, use case number one, in-game tradable assets. The DGood standard was designed by Mythical Games with game use case built right in front and center. This is not a quote, build it and they will come standard. And what he means is Mythical Games, this team, if, you, if you're not familiar with their background, go back and uh, watch our video where we, we introduce Mythical Games. Rob's done uh, content on them as well. This team's background and experience is about as top tier as you could possibly get. You, you take the very top, top of the line game studios uh, for, for the game, video game industry, and these guys were plucked directly from those companies from executive, le executive level positions, and now they're, they're building uh, applications with tradable NFTs uh, on EOSIO.
So, yep. so let that, let that sink in for a little bit. It's not build it and they will come. It's they're here banging on the door and they need this like now. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, this isn't something that, you know, the team at mythical games was just like, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if we had a standard? They're coming out with this standard because in building their game Blancos, which will use NFTs to a pretty you know significant extent, they realized all of these things that an NFT actually needs. And a good example is, you know, if you were going to sell a Blanco on the marketplace, that one individual Blanco is a token and each of his individual items are also a token. And right now, without some kind of um, group or bundle action built into a, an NFT standard, you would have to actually individually sell each part of that Blanco. You would have to sell the hat and sell the gloves and sell the sword and then sell the Blanco itself. But if you just want to sell a whole Blanco that has all of these tokens attached to it in its armor and it, in its weapons, um, you'll be able to do that because of this standard. It allows you to do batch actions and, and so, so much more that really isn't possible without a standard like this unless you spend months and months and months building it from scratch. So really what the Mythical Games team and now with Pixios contributing to this as well because they've been working on nfts um they're really writing all of the code once so that then no other developer ever has to write it again and a huge shout out to those guys for making all that happen and really giving this gift to the developer community what you just said there so um for anyone watching uh this week's episode of the everything es podcast if you missed it uh yesterday which is wednesday I released a video of something new that I started called the EOS Developer Series. So good, and by the way. So, so good. You've got to check it out if you haven't. <laughs> the reason I, I mentioned that was because Peter Kay, my, my co-host for that series, he uh, introduced this tool called EOS Studio, and it's a graphic IDE for developing on EOS, and it has like one-click deployments for different test nets, or you could deploy to the main net in one click, or you can jump between different versions of the, um, of the release candidates. So basically, one team uh, put all this work in to, to build EOS Studio, for example, and then now nobody has to do all that work in the command line terminal to deploy test nets in their local environments and things like that. And there's, there's a million different examples of stuff like that, like the uh, scatter wallet integrations and then the transit API from EOS New York. They're all doing things that other teams were doing in their own siloed uh, development environments, but yep. if everyone can just come together and come up with a, a standard, um, I think it's. I think real quick, just to point out how unique this is to the blockchain industry, this would never happen in any other industry because people are incentivized to kind of keep all their trade secrets to themselves. Like, oh, this is for my business and you know, oh, this is for mine over here. But in crypto, because we're all incentivized, at least around the same platform token, like the EOS token, we're all incentivized to make the entire ecosystem better, not just our own project. So I just think it's cool. Another awesome example of why this industry is so great. There's a million reasons this is great, Rob. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. Um, One of the examples. I, I I think this NFT probably ties into uh, the project we both talked about last week that I got to have more of a hands-on experience with this past Monday. And that's another ESVC-backed project besides Mythical Games called High Fidelity. Yeah. So basically, um, if you missed last week, um, Caitlin from High Fidelity came and met with the Pittsburgh Virtual Reality Meetup Group, and she did a presentation on High Fidelity to a non-blockchain, non-cryptocurrency crowd, and was explaining uh, the technology they're building, why, what makes it different, and also she confirmed what we already knew, and that uh, they were building on the, the most scalable blockchain platform to date, which is obviously EOSIO. She didn't outright use the terminology NFT, but a lot of the things she was talking about and explaining the value of blockchain digital assets to this non-blockchain crowd, she was basically explaining NFTs without <laughs> actually saying it or using the terminology. Being around um, 
other people who are very into virtual reality and seeing their reactions to some of the features she was explaining, I am more excited than ever uh, to try out high fidelity in uh, to, to do this podcast, Rob. Yeah, I, I talk, we definitely I talk, have to. I talked to Caitlin after the meetup and she, she loved the idea of doing a podcast there. She agreed that she could probably help out with some stuff. Nice. Uh, she has, so each environment or each like metaverse or whatever you want to call it, like your local VR world is called a domain. So it's kind of like the internet where I can go to any domain and I could, I'm on their web servers. That, that's how oh, high wow. fidelity is going to be. And that's how it's decentralized is you, you could run it on an AWS server if you want, or, or you could um, maybe rent cloud computing from even high fidelity. That might be one of the revenue models, but each domain is going to be pointed to a different server. So all, all of the architecture is going to be completely distributed and just their, their technology stack, like blockchain aside is just insane. Yeah, this um, is this is stuff that I didn't even know about. Like when I had heard of high fidelity, I was like, oh, it's a, a centralized, you know, world. Everything's hosted on sort of these centralized servers, and then it'll be the tokens and like uh, the HFC stablecoin, for example, that will all be decentralized. But when you showed this slide to me, I was like, oh wow, like all parts of this world could be decentralized. The domains I could run my own on my own server. So I think that aspect is pretty awesome. Even like the data feeds themselves are separated. So oh, wow. they've solved scaling problems in virtual reality and like 3D rendering way. I think that's more impressive than like EOS being a scalable blockchain that allows them to trans transfer their assets. But it, it was just insane, man. I, I, I'm, I'm there thinking like, oh, we're going to be talking in. Uh, hyping up EOS here because EOS right. is going to make this possible. EOS is just a small piece of high fidelity. High fidelity is so much more than blockchain and EOS. It's actually yeah. like the absolute best, most scalable VR platform ever built. It is pretty impressive. And this this really makes sense when you look at an architecture like this. Somebody told me, I think it was Crypto with a, with a Zero, who actually met in High Fidelity for the first time, mm -hmm. um, that this company's been around for several years, I think like three or four years. And when you explain all these problems that they're solving, like scalability and being able to even host all of these people in this VR world simultaneously and transport across different servers, it makes sense why they've been doing this for so long, because all of that infrastructure had to be laid to make what is now a relatively seamless and smooth game. So did they, did they have a headset there that you could try or have you not been able to try it yet? Yeah, they, they had a couple. I didn't get to actually try High Fidelity. Um, oh, man. Because like the internet connection there. Uh, uh, I okay. did try some different VR. Like this was my my biggest experience with and most recent experience with the VR headsets. And it was really cool. I basically was in the middle of what felt like a Pixar movie. I was in the middle of the woods and there was huh. all, like uh, all these little critters running around and doing all kinds of stuff. And like, I could look up in the trees and like, oh, cool. uh, I, I could walk up to them and hear them like making noises and they got louder as I got closer. So huh. it was really cool, but it, it wasn't the same immersive environment that you're going to get in a social VR like high fidelity. Right. Exactly. Um, but, but the reason I brought up VR chat was because I, I'm not familiar with it, but apparently it, it's a really big thing right now, but it's limited to about 20 people in the same room in VR. Like they can't scale beyond 20 people being Only within the 20. same environment. I don't know. I've seen, I, I imagine they do have some kind of limit, but I think it's probably higher than 20. Cause I've seen some videos on PewDiePie's channel, for example, where there are like hundreds of these little, or at least what looks like hundreds, maybe it's dozens of these little uh, people who shrink their character size down. And they were doing the show me the way meme. I, I may have been misled in some way, yeah, but I mean, regardless, I'm sure there is high a fidelity limit. has 
done uh, meetups of up to 500 or more people in the oh, same wow. place. So they, she showed this other thing where it was like a portal. Mm-hmm. So there's a VR meetup, I think, in San Francisco, and it's in, in person. And then they have a big screen up, and on their screen it shows this like room in VR of all these people in it. And then the people in the VR actually see the live stream of the meetup in real life, and they oh, can like cool. wave to each other like it's a mirror. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so it's like you're looking into like another universe whenever you're looking into your TV, and they like yeah. they respond to you. You could like talk to them and wave to them, but one group's in actual VR, and one's just at a VR meetup in real life. So that's high fidelity. Stay tuned, and we will talk more about us doing an actual podcast or show within their VR universe in somebody's domain. So super excited about that. Stay tuned. Oh yeah. Um, but it, it's been a while. You know, we used to on this show, especially before the mainnet launched, before you know all of the announcements that happened last year with USVC and investments, we used to very frequently speculate a little bit on what <laughs> Block One was working on. And I am super excited to talk a little bit more about Block One speculation today. Um, I have to give, Uh-oh. first of all, a huge shout out to Cesar Diaz, who hit me up in Telegram and said, hey, I found these interesting links. Maybe you could share it with your followers and see what they think. And he linked me to two trademark filings, okay? The first one Ooh. is uh, for, and these are both from Block One. Officially, if you click into to Block One on the, the trademark Justia site, um, which is just a you know a public way to search trademarks. You can see the other trademarks they own, you know EOSIO and EOS and the original EOS logo and things like that. Um, so it is the block one that filed these trademarks. And the first one is called Meos, M-E-O-S. Uh, do you want to I- explain a little about this goods and services um, section here that explains what that trademark covers? So they're filing a trademark block one for a computer application software to enable users to discover program, organize, access, and engage with third-party computer software programs on any EOS IO blockchain. They even go in and say, uh, they, they specifically mention storing it. They say computer application software providing a digital wallet. And then they talk about secure hardware key storage. What this says to me, this trademark here, is that Mios is the block one wallet. If you think about it, you know, hey, where's your EOS? Oh, I keep them in Mios. You know, it's secure. It sounds like based on the, the embedded browser that allows you to interact with any third-party computer software programs on any EOSIO blockchain. That to me sounds like a DAP Explorer, like you have an EOS Links or Meet One or Token Pocket. So this is just exciting. Like this may be their actual oh, wallet. Yeah. Like this may be it. All right, so the other definition of Mios here, um, this is a totally separate trademark filing in a different category, um, which generally, you know, if you're using the same term, but it applies to different categories, you file multiple trademark filings. Um, this one says, providing temporary use of non-downloadable web and mobile application software for virtual community, social networking, photo sharing, electronic media sharing, encrypted or otherwise, (laughs) secured messaging and media transmission, computer services, namely... (laughs) Oh, let me hit you with this. Creating online virtual communities for users to organize groups and events, participate in discussions, and engage in social, business, and community you're, networking. You're, you're, you're talking dirty to me here. <laughs> <laughs> this is it, man. Mios, maybe it's their social network. That's what this trademark filing seems to imply. Like, you could do all of these things on it. It's pretty crazy. Well, well let, let, let's let's backtrack a little bit. Yeah. It, it, what it's saying is if someone were to build this stuff, you couldn't call it Mios. It correct, doesn't mean it's correct. done. Doesn't it mean does they're actually going to come out with done. it. 
Yeah, and it could never come out. But they're protecting themselves and obviously planning to hopefully uh, use these trademarks. Exactly. But it, it doesn't. It, it doesn't mean this stuff's done. But it. It is more confirmation of what we've been talking about for a year now that they're building this stuff. And Dan is uh, heavily involved with building the next generation of a social media platform. And he, he's confirmed that much himself, but a hundred percent. I don't think the dates on these were super recent Were they, you, we just found them recently, correct? Yeah. It looks like the filing date for all of these was back in August of last year. Oh, some even in July of last year, it looks like July 23rd for Mios, um, August 21st for EOS X. So these have been sitting there for a while and nobody has found them. So Caesar, thanks for, <laughs> for hitting me up. The other one, um, is a little less exciting maybe, but very, very clear in what it is. It is EOS X. So one word EOS X, um, and the, the goods and services description is very short. Providing a trading platform for cryptocurrencies, blockchain tokens, and other digital assets. Sounds like a decentralized sounds exchange like, to me. Yeah, sounds like a DEX. Yep. So that, that one's surprising to me because unless it was like specifically for security tokens and uh, like licensed with all of the necessary regulational licenses and approvals, I... I I predicted last time we talked about uh, the B1 decks that I thought it would just be like the smart contract code and someone else would like be responsible for building the front end. But the fact that they have a name for this and all that, I, I wouldn't, what do you think? Do you think they'd be building a, a customer or business facing decks? I think and, they and might be honestly. Security they, laws? I don't think they're going to try to like circumvent laws in any way. I think anything that they maybe they have a relayer system set up similar to zero x which was that you know decentralized exchange protocol on ethereum that had a lot of promise but but really never took off because they were sort of fragmented but they could have some kind of relay system where it won't actually be block one transmitting the assets and they kind of put the liability on the people who want to run a relay there are a bunch of different ways they could structure it but it makes sense if we've been thinking about this wallet you know all the things that dan has said and brendan has said where you can do anything you need to do on any eosio blockchain within that wallet to me, that has to include some kind of an exchange, whether it's EOS Finex or something like this, EOS X, which could just be built directly into your wallet. Yeah, I'm curious to see more. I'm, I've am i been obviously waiting for a system-wide DEX. And yeah. Dan's also teased that one also. And I remember uh, in Telegram, someone asked him what's going to be different about the B1 DEX compared to other ones. And one of them was like uh, native like margin trading, which yeah. is crazy. Well, and things like not, not risk-free for the actual lender where it's impossible for the lender to lose money. It's pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah, I, I think it could open up a lot of doors for margin trading. So usually margin trading, you think of that and you think of like speculative trading. Bitmax. But it, it, yeah, but margin could also be a form of lending. So we could actually call it like lending. So if there's a DEX like system it could potentially have lending services built into it at a system level where maybe the interest rates go back and get distributed to the network that would be another possible way for rex fees, for example 100 percent. and speaking of uh, other speculation we got a pretty interesting <laughs> this was somebody else in telegram that dropped it in the everything eos channel i believe uh, I'm, I'm forgetting the person's name so i apologize but thank you for dropping this in uh, an interview with with brock you want to explain what happened here gall why don't we just play the video yeah let's do it play the clip they're not going anywhere. They've got a lot of runway uh, and they've got, you know, the probably the most advanced chain today in terms of scalability. They've solved what I think of as the Netscape, you know, sort of moment. That is, it's got to be scalable. EOS is very scalable, though they do have some RAM and CPU issues that need to be resolved. Um, I don't know if this is public yet, so please forgive me if I said something I'm not supposed to, but DAP token, uh, Bank Core, 
and Liquid EOS have a scaling solution for EOS for the mainnet, adapt layer that is going to solve all the RAM and CPU issues, I believe in February, which is why it I hope I... Public, but it's public now. <laughs> I, I, please forgive me. So I think... Obviously, it seems like Brock was not supposed to, to release this news yet. It seemed like it probably wasn't public. And then, you know, obviously he's live on CNBC's Crypto Trader. They're, they're obviously going to play it anyway. There's nothing he can do at that point. But clearly there has been something big in the work, some big scaling solution. Brock here calls it the DAP token or the DAP layer in that interview that Bancor has been working on. Um, which looks to solve a lot of the CPU issues and the RAM issues and make it easier for you know somebody with a normal user account who doesn't want to set up an EOS account, I think, to, to get into dApps. In some way, we really don't know anything other than Brock has said that this should try to solve the scalability issues for dApps in some way. We, we promised everyone late last year that we were really going to hit 2019 hard with everything EOS. So we haven't missed a beat on the podcast, but that's what's expected. But we finally started doing the uh, EOS developer series. So that came out earlier this week. Next week, we'll also be dropping two episodes. We'll be doing this regular podcast. But earlier in the week, you could expect the Crystal Rose on, on a podcast interview. And we discussed a lot of things. Uh, if you, for those not familiar, Crystal Rose, she's uh, the founder and CEO of block producer Shios as well as the founder and CEO of SenseChat, which if you follow Rob on Cypherglass, he's done a, a video on their decentralized peer-to-peer, -peer, uh, basically like a WhatsApp. Uh, we've talked about it on this show before. But she also has a third distinguishment, which is that she knows everything that Brock Pierce knows because I'm sure they talk every single day. Yeah. And in my conversation with her, I, I was asking her about resources because that's been a, a major uh, sticking point on the mainnet. And I asked her because Sense, Sense Chat is moving to the mainnet next month. And oh, that, wow. that's the exact op opposite what a lot of other dApps are doing. So you see um, EOS Bet said they're scaling solutions off chain. Eva, uh, the decentralized Uber, they need a private blockchain t for their scaling plan. Um, I think EOS Finex is doing a private chain, but um, here's Sense is coming to the main net. And I asked her about uh, what she's planning to do with resources. I asked, are you planning to use Rex? Because that should be, if it's implemented, or if you're going to have a bunch of EOS, or if there's some other solution uh, that you've thought of. And she just happened to bring up uh, the Bancor token. Huh. I am pumped, Rob. What, what, what do you think this scaling solution could possibly be? <sighs> I don't know. I hope it's certainly not just like another fork calling itself a sidechain. I really don't think it's that if they're hyping this up as this real solution. What I hear is maybe there's some kind of second layer where, you know, you can have the permissions of your account managed more if you're using dApps, something to onboard users into dApps and make it so that those users don't actually have to use any resources or they can use the dApps resources maybe. I don't know. When It's really hard to know what will be different about this because we don't know any information, but that's what I would speculate. Some kind of layer where, you know, dApps in some way can use resources more efficiently. I, I don't know. This one kind of stumped me. Um, we should probably keep our expectations in check a little bit. I think it will be a nice solution, but just like uh, the IBC solutions that we'll get into in a bit, it's probably not the magic end all be all, but any improvement we, we keep, that, that's the beauty of EOS IO and, and what we've done so far since the mainnet of EOS launched is we continuously iterate and reiterate and reiterate and build more stuff and more things and more innovation, more solutions. Yeah. And we just, we just keep getting better. So 
any improvements an improvement so i am excited um and you guys should be excited to watch the entire interview uh there's a few other gems in there besides the uh bancord tees uh you could expect that next tuesday or wednesday one of my nice. favorite parts she was telling me how uh i asked her when she first read the white paper and she was talking about reading it with dan himself what <laughs> like, that's like, crazy like, uh, so I first heard about Yus when Brendan Bloomer was pitching it to Brock before yeah, the idea. Yeah. At that point, I had understood more of the technology um, and started reading a little bit more about it with Dan Larimer. I was already a fan because of Dan. Crystal Rose is an OG. 100%. She's definitely very, very legit. I met her at the uh, EO San Francisco Hackathon and was awesome just chatting with her for a little bit, but obviously working on some pretty important stuff and sounds like uh, her friends over at Bancor are working on some important stuff too. So I'm excited. I can't wait to watch that interview as well. Obviously, you mm -hmm. played me a couple little clips, but I'm excited for, for you know, obviously like the developer series interview, I had never seen any of that. So it's it's so fun for me now to actually be able to sit down and watch and everything EOS podcast from scratch. All right, Rob, so let's move on to the next topic here. It's a, a pretty big one and yeah. one that you've been very vocal about on, on this one, and that is IBC and some recent uh, sister chains that have launched, uh, namely the BOS chain. There's a lot of uh, highly reputable block producers supporting that chain, but everyone is claiming victory in the... Um, the race to solve IBC. If you're sitting there listening, you're going IBC, what is that? Uh, IBC is inter-blockchain communication. So it's a very, very broad term that basically just covers anything that links two blockchains together in any way. It could be a basic token transfer. It could be linking blockchains so that they seem like one larger chain. But what people are mostly focused on now is that first type of IBC, which is basically a token peg that just allows you to transfer any token from one chain to the other. So if you haven't already, um, if you haven't seen that what is IBC video, either search what is IBC on YouTube or head to youtube.com slash cypherglass and you can watch it and kind of understand the difference. But what's been so interesting to me is that I think because IBC is so new, you know, most of the, the tech that people talk about in this spectrum of the term IBC, most of that tech does not exist yet. So people are kind of confused on how it will work, um, you know, confused on what the different definitions of IBC actually are. And because people are all using this one term IBC when they're talking about all kinds of different implementations of it, it gets very, very confusing into what is actually going on. So I thought it was very, very important that instead of declaring victory now, when really none of that holy grail, you know, final version of IBC has actually been built yet, it seems a little premature and a little bit dangerous to mislead people into thinking that this is true native IBC. So the biggest difference right now, you know, if you look at somebody like a boss, which is that chain that you mentioned, um, they do have, you know, a very basic form of IBC that's similar to those Bitcoin and Ethereum and USD pegs that now exist on EOS. You know, technically through those BitPi implementations, that is a form of IBC. You can take your Bitcoin, you deposit it into a contract, and through that contract, you can then transfer effectively that Bitcoin token to the EOS mainnet. Obviously, you're using a placeholder proxy token to do that, but effectively, you are transferring that token to another blockchain, and that in itself is the most basic form of IBC. But with that basic form of IBC, you know, with the Bitcoin and Ethereum relays and the USD, it's relatively centralized in that one company with a multi-sig wallet has to have a couple people approve it for any transactions to happen. But with Boss's implementation, it's actually much more decentralized where each of the 21 block producers within that ecosystem can act as a relay. So rather than, you know, 
uh, say five people controlling the, the, the in and out transfers, it's now 21 with the block producers, so it's a bit more decentralized. But the reason why I made this video and the reason why I've been so vocal about it is because when people hear, hey, Boss had some kind of IBC, they immediately think, oh, wow, this is the, the scaling solution that I've been waiting for. This is how EOS is gonna have a thousand chains all connected that all feel like one network. But the truth is, that technology, that holy grail of, of side chains and scalability has not been built yet. The only IBC we have so far are these token pegs, where now if I wanted to, I could transfer an EOS token from the EOS mainnet to the boss fork. Um, but right now, they're, they're not real side chains. So I just think it's very, very important that people understand this is not the sidechain scalability solution. Is this an important step technologically? Absolutely. I think it's great that they can make a more decentralized token relay and allow you to transfer a token from one blockchain to another in a more decentralized way where you're not relying on one company. Um, but beyond that, I think it's very, very important that when somebody mentions IBC, you ask, what do you mean by IBC? Because that holy grail, that scalability solution does not exist yet. These are simply forks. They are separate networks that allow you to transfer tokens from one separate network to the other. They are not linked in any uh, you know, deeper way than that, which is that true native sidechain scalability that we're looking forward to in the future. It's and, and you said it yourself, it's 100% an improvement. Absolutely. But just like whatever Bancor has up their sleeve, it's not the the magic solution to solving uh, resource allocations exactly. on, on an ESIO chain. But it, it, it's an iterative, iterative improvement. And I have no doubt that the BOS IBC is an improvement over something like what a, a BitPy is like exactly. probably a little bit and more it, centralized. It definitely is the the BitPy implementation and even you know Bancor's um, Bancor X relay that is a form of basic IBC and that they're allowing you to transfer Ethereum tokens into EOS tokens or vice versa. So that's IBC as well. Um, I think what's also unique about this Boss implementation is that it's the really the first EOS IO chain to link with the EOS mainnet and do that basic form of a token peg where you're just relaying a token back and forth. So because of that, it's much faster. You know, you're not relying on the Bitcoin network or the Ethereum network um, on one end to process that transaction for you. Both sides are EOS IO. So it's very, very fast and very, very efficient. So it is a big improvement over current implementations, but still not anywhere close to what we're looking for for the native sidechain scaling. So I think you know, one of the important aspects of native sidechain scaling as well is that they will still use the default EOS token. You know, if you look at something like Boss, which is its own separate network right now, they have their own token for resource allocation. You have to either buy that Boss token or, or lease it from somebody else in order to use that chain. But when native sidechain scaling comes out and we have a bunch of chains that are all connected to the EOS mainnet just for scaling, you won't even have to make a new account on those chains. You'll have the same account, most likely the same block producers, um, and it will all kind of be very, very seamless using the same EOS token without having to implement or add in all of these other tokens that you know may have horrible distribution where a couple of people control the majority of the token supply um, versus just using the token that everybody already knows and trusts today. And I, I do think it's important to note that that's obviously what why people are jumping on a lot of these side chains. I think you know, yeah, they want to export, uh, they want to explore the experimentation and these new you know technical improvements that some of these chains have. But at the same time, they are looking for additional revenue streams. However, if you look at the token price, you look at the inflation. The block producers that are producing on these other chains are most likely also losing money because some of these tokens are you know less than a penny, two tenths of a penny. Um, they're just not at the point where it needs to be for the BPs to even make money on these extra you know forks as well. The difference between a sister chain and a side chain, you kind of you kind of hit on it with with the the 
token used for resource allocation. You want to uh, give a quick just explanation of the difference between a sister and its sidechain? Yeah. Gone. So the biggest difference between a sister chain, which is basically just a fork um, that uses the same EOSIO software and a side chain is that a sister chain has its own, you know, independent token. It has its own token for resource management. It has its own separate block producers. It is a separate blockchain network, but a side chain and particularly a native side chain in the future will have the same block producers as the EOS mainnet, the same user accounts and use most importantly, the same EOS mainnet token. So that's the biggest difference there. You know, side chain right. uses the same tokens and accounts as the mainnet. So Sister chain, totally new tokens, totally new BPs. And I, I understood sidechains exactly as you explained them. So if you're the number five block producer on the mainnet, you're saying that you'd also be the number five producer on sidechain A. Correct, because those are effectively just another scalability mechanism for the mainnet to add all of these chains that are then connected natively. So if that were the case, every different chain you spin up as a block producer, let's say on the main net, there's like five major side chains that are being supported by all the block producers. So they're basically running five times the infrastructure. So whatever it costs them to run uh, their, their bare metal servers currently just for the main net, they have to 5x those expenses. So how would that work with standby block producers that aren't in the top 21. They're not making a bunch of money, not enough to be running five different infrastructure setups, just hoping that they might get a sniff of the top 21. Oh, hundred percent. So how is that not kind of shutting the door on a lot of independent block producers? If, if the block producers on every side chain by that definition are required to be like the exact same and maybe even the same order as on the main net. Yeah, I think, how, so I think the main point to make is that it's only a short-term impediment that's basically due to token price. So even the people in the top 21 right now probably don't have enough funds to spin up these additional chains. Maybe they do to, you know, because you're not going to have to duplicate every part of your setup. You could put it all under the same DDoS protection and, the, you know, similar load balancers and things like that. Um, but really as, so let me, let me back up a little bit. Right now, every single dApp that exists within the EOSIO ecosystem could run on the EOS mainnet, no problem. There's plenty of capacity there. Everything can run on that mainnet chain. And we have our token price right now, a little under $3, let's say 250. In the future, if there is a need to actually expand and have more capacity and more throughput beyond the mainnet, more than likely, there's more demand for those token resources and the token price will be much higher than it is right now, thus giving the BPs an opportunity to invest in new infrastructure. Um, but right now, you know, to your point, unless it's somebody investing their own money like Cypherglass has done so many times, you know, we've invested way more than we've pulled out in block rewards into the ecosystem. Unless there are a bunch of BPs like that, something like this is really not possible in the short term until the token price increases. But if you look at a, a $5 EOS token, a $10 EOS token, a $15 EOS token, the amount of money the BPs are making then, even at 1% inflation, will be plenty to you know, go through and spin up really you know, uh, as many side chains as we need at that point. So we only had one more topic to cover really. Yeah. And it's it's been your advocacy it ties in with the main net and how you've been supporting the main net you're supporting the main net yet again uh with this new product you wanted to announce today yeah. you want to introduce it to everyone because i don't even know that much about it beyond its name and what it looks like yeah so there you know there's so much that i love about eos right I, I love the fact that we have half second block times i love that we have a community that actually wants to change things and upgrade things instead of just fighting over things and actually not improving you know i love the community spirit i love the developers i love the dApps but there's one thing that i really don't like about eos 
you know, it, you know how many times I've come up with a name that was maybe 10 characters long or nine characters long, and I went, oh, that would make <laughs> such a cool account name, but I can't register it because every EOS account is forced to be 12 characters. So we've been working on this and did some research into sub namespaces, and we're super excited to announce the EOS name service. So if you go to eosnameservice.io, you can check it out. You can search any name. Um, you know, for example, right now, if you go and search HODL, you'll see that a bunch of HODL.VR, HODL.XYZ, HODL.X, all of these names are available for you as your account name. So for the first time, instead of having an account name that is forced to be 12 characters, you can have an account name of any length, even just one character if you wanted. You could buy, you know, Zach, you could buy z.vr as your account name, and that can be your account name on the EOS blockchain. You can show off that account name on the DAP leaderboards, or if you're a DAP, you can use that, you know, specific contract that's easily identifiable as your DAP smart contract account. So we're super excited to launch it today. Um, head on over, search whatever name combinations you want, and we've made it very, very easy so that you don't have to manage new keys. It just creates the new account with whatever existing keys are on the account making the purchase. So literally in one click, you can register a new EOS account name that is custom to you, zach.vr, zach.xyz, whatever you want it to be, eosnameservice.io, and we're, we're so, so excited to bring that to the community today. This is really cool. So you could basically have your first name dot X dot Y. And are, are you going to have more options for the, the suffixes? Yeah. So we have six uh, suffixes that are coming out right now at launch. We have dot XYZ dot VR for virtual reality. If you want to make a high fidelity account, boom, you know, Zach dot VR, Rob dot VR, whatever it is. Um, but then we also have dot X dot Y, which is cool because if you're making the name, you know, crazy, you can have CRAZ dot Y and it'll autofill for you. Um, then we have .z, and we also have .e. Um, so some cool account names to come out with, but we have a ton of new names coming shortly after launch. Uh, and we'll also be launching the ENS Marketplace, which will allow you to resell names, whether you registered them through ENS or not, um, you'll be able to resell them to other people in an auction format. So that should be pretty cool as well. The only uh, custom names like this that I've ever seen before was, I think it's called EOS name swaps or something. That's yep. more of like an auction. So you could pay like a, a hundred, anywhere between, I don't know, like 50 and a thousand EOS for different names, but they're like pre-selected. So like the first one's like P.io. So someone bought that and they're reselling it. But if I wanted like rob.io I, I couldn't just buy that one if it didn't already exist exactly. and live on the auction house yeah unfortunately really there's cool. there's no real fixed price registration and uh, if there is it's generally for one name so you know if you want .x we actually made a video about that a long time ago last year um, and showed people how to register just that specific name by integrating with the contract what the EOS name service does so well is it takes all of the available suffixes that you can register and it puts them in one place so in just one search if I search rob I can see oh rob.xyz is available rob.vr is available rob.x is not available oh Oh, but these two are two, and I can register however many names I want. Um, I'm excited about it because now, you know, I, I have a bunch of different accounts where I store different things. So I can have like storage.x or, or, you know, storj.x can be my long-term storage, and I can have um, hodl.vr, and that can be my, you know, long-term year-plus storage. You can set up all kinds of creative different accounts that are easily recognizable for, you know, storing different things or playing different games. Um, so I am super, super excited about it. I'm already, you know, using the platform, obviously, and registering tons of names. So if anything, I kind of built it for myself in a lot of ways. <laughs> We started the podcast off with you 
uh, introducing the partnership with Mythical Games, Scatter, ES Links, and Token Pocket. And Mythical Games, uh, as far as I know, are, are they still at least targeting the mainnet, as yeah. far as you know? Yeah, as far as I know, Mythical Games, you know, Pixios included in that as well, are both targeting the mainnet for their launches. Just like you said, I mean, we've had a long-term commitment to the EOS mainnet and still do, and will not support any of these sidechains until native sidechain scaling is in place, and it makes sense. Because right now, you know, they're doing experiments, but... It, we don't see enough value there for us to sort of go away from the mainnet to try to, to participate in some of these chains. Um, but when it comes to dApps, obviously a chain is only as valuable as the people that use that chain and more importantly, the dApps yes, that sir. build on top of that chain. You know, I can go out, I can spin up an EOSIO blockchain in a click. If you watch the developer series, you can see how Pete does that on his local machine. It's pretty cool. Um, but what mm -hmm. I can't spin up in a click are the users, are the developers, are the community, that network effect of 700,000 plus accounts that exist on the EOS mainnet right now can not just be copied to another blockchain. An example. Yeah. So th there are certain games that, that are enjoyable to play. So yes, Knights is pretty fun, but we're Monster EOS. Let's name drop them also. Yeah. But let's say they moved to EOS Force for, for scaling reasons. I'm going to stop playing that game because I don't want to go through the friction of having to transfer tokens and create a new account and move over there. 100%. The value of the main net is that there's tens of thousands of active users on it right now. And that's where the majority of the community lives. You, you can fork code, but you can't fork a community. So Cypherglass is a new initiative and it's not really new. It's just, you're talking about it more now. Yeah. And, and so everyone knows about it, but you are looking to invest in dApps, early stage dApps to help them in any way you can, as long as they meet the, there's probably other requirements, but the one biggest requirement that is a non-starter, non-negotiable is are they building on the main net? Exactly. And that's one of the, you know, the biggest requirements of EOS VC is that they build on EOS IO software in some way. If you think about, you know, the, the much, much smaller Cypherglass fund, um, it, which isn't really even a, a formal fund in a lot of ways, it's the partners behind Cypherglass investing. Um, but if you think about that, you know, our one requirement is really, hey, are you building on the EOS mainnet? Because I just, you know, to your point about user friction, moving to new chains and that the whole education process that goes along with that, um, there really is no reason in my mind to move to another chain with your dApp. Uh, the just man it is the place to be do you do you want to kind of solicit the audience to to, to reach out like what type what what stage of a project do you want them in do you want obviously they should be beyond like an idea phase right how, how far along in the development process would you take these calls from these dap developers to basically tell you what they're building and see if uh your interests are aligned with theirs. Yeah, ideally you're, you know, like you said, past the ideation phase, but you should really have some kind of an MVP, you know, minimum viable product to show us and say, hey, this is what we're thinking for our platform. This is how our dApp works. You know, here, for example, if you were Dice and you were bringing us an MVP, maybe you only have the first Dice game built and then you say, hey, but we're also going to build these other games as well in the future. Um, so bringing us something that works and we can, you know, sort of assess the the quality of your team's code and, and you know, your ability to execute. Um, the more information you can bring us, the better, but if you are interested in this DAP program, please email me rob at cypherglass.com. And you can also CC my brother Ben at cypherglass.com on the email as well. Um, and we'll get back to you because, you know, this program has been in place since the mainnet launched. We helped Monster EOS, which was the very first DAP to ever launch on EOS, kind of like a CryptoKitties clone on EOS. 
um, that Leo Ribeiro, who now works at Block One, built. Uh, we helped them with their servers and, and giving them RAM to help them them run it, and you know, staking some resources and things like that. Um, and then we kind of expanded it out into investments, where we invested in Dice and now in Pixios, of course. Um, and we're looking for more. So if you're out there, you're building a DApp, you have something to show us, please email us. Like I said, Rob at Cypherglass.com, Ben at Cypherglass.com, and uh, we'll get back to you. And maybe you'll be the next project that we invest in. I will see you all next Tuesday, Wednesday at the latest. I will give myself an extra day of wiggle room. Uh, and you will see Rob next Friday. So until next week, I'm Zach Gall. I'm Rob Finch. And this is Everything You. Dun, dun, dun.